you for the opportunity of being able to set a day apart, uh, set it aside from what we normally do during the week to be able to come together corporately and to, uh, Lord, as best we can, just put out of our minds everything else and just focus on Jesus. We thank you for your word that tells us that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we want to do that tonight and we thank you again for the opportunity of meeting together here, listening to you, sitting at your feet and just bathing in the beauty of your presence. And we want to do that as a church tonight. So we thank you once again as we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Was there supposed to be a Bible reader here? Or a yes or no? There was? That's all right. Well, how about, um, how about if I do that? So uh, let's do that. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> and uh, I'll read from verses 12. And I think it'll include 17. So Colossians 3, 12 down to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And because it's God's word, he's going to bless it. Uh, many years ago, in fact, back in the... Uh, 60s when I was just a, a young bloke um, my father was in the prisons department and uh, he traveled this is in South Australia and we traveled as a family all over South Australia as he went from jail to jail uh, as a prison officer that was at Port Augusta jail we in fact it's another story I won't go on it now we in fact lived in the jail itself back then um, <clears throat> and we'd only been there for a short time and there was four of us kids and like any kids, you go exploring. And one day we decided we'd explore behind the jail. So we went down beside the wall, out into a big open area, out in the bush. And we noticed there were three lovely big, um, what do we call those trees? Uh, weeping willows. And that, that was about the only greenery was there. It was all salt bush and, and, and red dirt. Well, we were out there and we were just kind of trundling around. And we noticed as we went out that there were these three ponds, three little ponds with these willow trees over them and of course we were exploring these ponds we were kind of walking between them like that and it had been raining and it was slippery and I had gum boots on and I got too close to the edge and straight in up to here uh, those pits were sewerage pits the jail back in those days had raw open sewerage pits and the drain would run out of a hole in the wall go down to where these pits were and that's what was there and as this little bloke, I slipped into one of these pits right up to here. It was kind of funny to think about it now, but it wasn't back then. I was pretty scared. And uh, my big sister, bless her heart, she reached down and she pulled me out of this sewage pit. It's actually part of my testimony, which I might share one day. But here I was, up to my neck uh, in, in, well, I'd have to describe, do I really? And uh, all, I can still remember 
they used phenol, would that be right? I think it's phenol back then, and I still stunk of phenol. And I was pretty upset, obviously. And uh, I, I don't know why, none of my brothers and sisters came with me. They just said, you need to go home, David. So I trudged back, and I was crying, as you do as your little bloke, you know, when you've been in the sewage pit. And, uh, and I was crying and, uh, and, and kind of squelching my way back home. And it was bouncing off the wall, squelch, 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 off the big stone wall of the jail as I went back home. And I don't know much else. All I know is that rather than mum invite me into the shower and the, and the bath, she kind of just hosed me outside for a while, you know, with the hose. Just get all the, uh, yeah, well, all the, well, I'm not going to that either. It's just stuff off me, you know. And, and, uh, and, then, she, and then she took me inside. And I remember I, I was encouraged to take a bath, warm bath clothes, take the dirty clothes off have a bath, uh, and mum put me some fresh, new, clean clothes, and I put them on. And uh, as I looked at this passage here uh, during the week, um, it reminds me of that particular experience, because here in, the, uh, in this chapter in, in, in uh, Colossians, the Apostle Paul uh, uses a similar kind of illustration in regards to garments, not quite the same as what I just said, but in, in terms of, of garments, of taking off the old and putting on the new. And uh, so in, in some ways, it was like me taking off the old polluted garments that I had, and she put new, fresh, clean ones on, or I could do it myself back then, but I got these new, clean clothes put on. It's like, like the, the Apostle Paul saying here, taking off the old, sin-stained, polluted self-life, the, the self-life of the past, and putting on these new, fresh, clean, uh, redeemed and holy life of Jesus Christ, which we all do. When you come to Christ, you take off the old and you put on the new. And for example, this is what this passage says. Look at the passage here in, in 3 and verse 9 and 10. It says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. And that's verses 9 and 10 then the ones that we're looking at tonight here also in verse 12 it says something again in that similar fashion therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience all right here's a quick question for you when you look at these qualities listed here in this verse in verse 12 and the following verses of this passage who or what does that remind you of? I think Josh touched on that this morning. Who or what? As you read about these qualities, who or what does that remind you of? Very simple answer. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? I can hear some of you saying that. It was the Lord Jesus. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how, here's another one. So how ought we to live and connect with each other as believers? Who, like Jesus, isn't it? It's as, it's as simple as that. Profound, but simple as that. Just like Jesus. So when we think about these, these, these qualities such as compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, it's just Jesus. That's, Jesus is the embodiment of all those virtues, of all those uh, qualities that we see there. In fact, Paul puts it like this in Romans 12, uh, 13 verse 14. He says this, Rather, listen to these words, Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
And you know, when you try to imagine, for example, what the church would look like if we really put into practice these things. Try to imagine what the church, try to imagine what this church would look like if we could all, if we could and would <clears throat> be like Jesus to one another. Do you reckon people would notice the difference if every Christian really put on Jesus Christ and lived and walked as he did? Do you think people would notice the difference? I think they would. I think they'd notice a big difference. Um, they would be so drawn to the church, to his church, just as they were drawn to Jesus when he walked in person on the face of the earth. That's a challenge to me. Why don't we see the kinds of people that Jesus was attracted to or that attracted, were attracted to Jesus? Why don't we see people like that flooding into the church? I wonder why that is. So what should the, the motivation for us as believers in Christ be? To put off the old sinful ways and to put on the new one, the new ways, the new, sorry, put on Christ. What should be our motivation for doing that? Well, see, firstly, we need to get a handle on what Paul was, was uh, teaching in the first part of this chapter. Listen to these words. And so in verses uh, 1 to 3, Paul says this, Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now verse 3 is important. Look at this. For you died. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So the first thing you see here that I, that I want you to get, your, to get your attention on, the first thing to grasp is the fact that when you gave your life to Christ, you in fact died to that old life. You're, you're dead, you're buried, and you've been risen again with Christ. So when you gave your life to Christ, the old life was put off, it died, and the new life of Christ you put on, he put on for you. The old life off, the new life on with the risen Christ. I like how Warren Wiersbe puts this. He says this, Once you were dead in sin, but now you're dead to sin. Do you get that? I like how he puts that. And that's spoken about, of course, in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Once you were dead in sin, but now you are dead to sin. When you give your life to Christ, you are dead to sin and you are alive in him. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Therefore, says the Apostle Paul in verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, because these are the exact qualities of Jesus Christ who is now in you, living his life in you. Why? Because you've died to the old life and Christ now lives in you. Therefore, let him live his life in you and through you. Do you get that? It's, it's pretty simple in many ways. But it's just us getting off the throne of our own lives, getting out of the way, submitting ourselves, surrendering ourselves to Christ and say, Lord, please be the Lord in me. Please live your life in me and through me. And this is what Paul's really saying here. I want you to notice something else in this verse 12 here. Did you notice how the Lord has addressed us and described us? I think it's very humbling. Because we are in Christ chosen by God. We're set apart by God. 
We're dearly loved by God. And you know, when you take into account all of those things, we ought to be displaying then something of his nature, don't you think? If Christ is living in us and he is all those things, then we ought to be displaying something of his nature in our lives. And Jesus again says that in, in, in John chapter 15, for example. And verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and it's the fruit that will last. And the things that we've just been talking about, the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, that's the kind of fruit that will last because it's from him. It's not from the world. Nothing in the world will last but the kind of fruit that Jesus gives you lasts forever. And so in a similar way, Paul is saying, because you're chosen by God, then bear the fruit accordingly. Because you're chosen by him and you're in him, then bear the fruit accordingly. Or in other words, clothe yourselves with those very virtues that I've said. And you'll probably get sick of me saying them, but you want, want them to burr into our minds that we need to be clothing ourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. How are you going with those things in your own life? You see, these magnificent qualities, says one writer, he says they are perfectly blended in the character and conduct of Christ. You like that? I do. These qualities that we've been talking about perfectly blended in the character and conduct of Christ you know quite frankly when you read the scripture Paul for example again in Philippians 2 5 he says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus that's pretty tough isn't it so there's a good measuring stick how's my attitude going well how was Jesus' attitude how do I measure up to his attitude because the scripture is telling us that our attitude should be like his It's a good challenge and it's one where we need to all of us I'm sure say Lord help me with this but it's how we are meant folks it's how we are meant to relate to each other and to connect with each other as believers using these very things being this person that Christ has made us to be in verse 13 Paul now explains these qualities or these virtues and how they work their way out in the practical application through the believer through the child of God Verse 13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances that you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That causes me to say, God, help me with this. You know, so again, as we relate to one another and to connect with each other, it means showing these virtues, which are, you may tell me by, almost by heart, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And get this, even towards those who are difficult to get along with. There are people that you will just breeze along with because they're so like you or they're so not like you, whatever. But you, there are people that you'll just love to be with. They're easy to be with. They are lovable. But what about the unlovable ones? What about the ones that grate on you? What about the ones that rub you up the wrong way? Should we change anything because of them? Is Jesus saying that we should act differently? 
So it's even towards those that are difficult to get along with. <clears throat> and you need to remember, <clears throat> you might be difficult to get along with as well. And we need to try, try to be, and to those who try your patience, those who really test out your patience. And that's what it means to bear with each other. One Bible commentator by the name of N.T. Wright, <clears throat> he has this definition about bearing with one another. He says, to restrain your natural reaction towards odd or difficult people. To restrain your natural reaction towards odd and difficult people. He says, let them be themselves and you accept them as they are. So what does that mean? Well, really, it means things like this, for example. It means <clears throat> we don't roll our eyes at them. We don't roll our eyes, we don't kind of shake our heads or our fists. Why don't we do that? Why don't we murmur and sort of do this about this sort of stuff? Why don't we do that? Simple answer, because Jesus never did. He never did those things to people. But instead he loved them and he forgave them and he met them and he bared, he bore with them, if that's the right word to use. But he understood and accepted and sought to, to meet them where they were in all their failures and all their shortcomings. And therefore, we must do the same. He forgave us. He forgave them when they came to him. And folks, we've got to do the same. We need to forgive each other, as verse 13 says, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Jesus forgave us and there were no strings attached to his forgiveness there were no conditions and nor should there be with us it's not easy to do but it's necessary we do because when you think about it there's something not right you think about this there's something not right there's something imbalanced when we know that we have been forgiven and released from all of our sins by the Lord Jesus Christ and yet for some reason we can't or we won't forgive that offending brother or sister. Somehow we hold this grudge. But think this through. If they themselves as a believer in Christ have been forgiven by him, they're already forgiven by the Lord, what should then our response be to them when they offend us, when they hurt us? They're already forgiven. So what should our response be? Forgive as the Lord forgave them. It kind of gets into your mind a bit, isn't it? And into your heart. That's what it's meant to do. And then it says here in verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And it's just like, I guess the meaning of that, ver that, that verse is, it's just like putting on that final garment of clothing that holds all the other pieces of clothing in one, it, together. It holds them all together. And I don't know whether people still wear brooches and pins. Do they still wear that? I forgot to ask my wife about that. Do you still put brooches on to kind of... Everyone's going, oh, I don't even know what a brooch is. And, you know, or a pin or something like that just to hold it all together. Well, just imagine that you've got all this clothing on and you put a lovely brooch or a pin there and it kind of holds it all there. Well, that's what it means to put on love, which binds it all together in perfect unity. <clears throat> pardon me that's what that means we're to put on love 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. Galatians 5.14 says this. Just love how God's word just complements God's word. It explains God's word. Paul says in Galatians 5.14, he says the entire law, listen to this, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. Pretty simple, isn't it? Not necessarily simple to do. So let me suggest to you in relation to this, you simply cannot love like Paul is saying here unless you first uh, unless you first know and have experienced the love of Christ in your own life. Do you get that? We can't love like Paul's suggesting here unless we first know God's love in our own life. You see, the reality is that we have to receive in order to give. You can't give what you haven't received. And when Christ fills your life, and he overflows in your life and you've got something to give someone else. Something to show and tell about Jesus Christ. Jesus said this simply himself. He says, freely you have received, freely you, freely, freely you have received, freely give. Yeah, it used to be a song, an old song a long time ago. Freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. Remember that? Some do. So that's what it's about. You know, you've got to receive Christ. You've got to know him in your own life before you can give out those same, those same qualities that he's given you. But this kind of love not only connects Christians together, you know, even under the pressures and the demands and the rigours of, of daily life, but it also checks us. It checks our own motives and attitudes toward each other, that they be pure and not impure, <clears throat> as Paul mentions in the first part of this, this chapter. And this same concept, again, is taught in Paul's letter to Timothy when he says this in, in 1 Timothy 1.5. He says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In other words, it comes from a heart where Jesus Christ is the Lord and master of your life. And I believe this is how God wants his church to relate with each other and to connect with each other. And again, that question, how, how, how are you going with that? How's that working out in your own life? And I like how Josh mentioned this again this morning. A good place for you to be able to exercise these things that we're talking about this morning is in a life group. If you're not in one, I encourage you to be in one. We've got to find one yet. But if you're not in a life group, I encourage you to find a life group and exercise, begin to experience these things in that group as well. You see, the natural outflow of this kind of love also has to do with peace. Have you got peace in your heart tonight? Peace with God means knowing the peace of God in your own heart. And I believe that love and peace go together. I don't believe you can have true love without having peace. And you won't know true peace until you have true love in your life. And so Paul says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since, since, sorry, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Another question I want us to ponder tonight, why do you think that we have umpires or referees in sporting activities? Why do you think umpires and referees are in sporting events? 
And if you watch the last State of Origin, you might be asking yourself that same question. What were they doing? And I don't know what will happen this, this uh, Wednesday. I, I'm not really a fanatic on, on the sports, as you probably heard this morning. Someone's talking about the World Cup at the moment. I said, yes, of course, we all know what the World Cup's about. It's that horse race they have in Melbourne every year. So, of course, that's not what it is. It's that basketball team, isn't it? So, anyway, that's just stuff like that. But why do we have umpires or referees in those kinds of sporting activities? Why, why, why do we have them there? Um, and, well, the reason, simple reason is that um, the umpire is involved in those sporting matches between the two opposing sides so that he or she can arbitrate between the two sides and hopefully bring some kind of resolution or solve the differences. So the umpire needs to be there to be that referee, that, 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 that arbitrator between the two sides. That's what he's supposed to be doing there. And this is the meaning here in verse 15. Let, and it basically says, well, let the, peace of, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So in other words, it's saying this, let the peace of Christ be the umpire of your heart. That's what the meaning of that word is. Let it be the umpire of your heart. And I like how the Tyndale commentary says this, he explains it very well. Listen to this. The peace that is to characterise the church is not to be a mere outward absence of, absence, sorry, of hostility, but it is to be the peace of Christ, which must become the deciding factor or umpire in your hearts. Whatever disagreements or mutual suspicions occur in the church, they are to be dealt with at the deepest level by all parties, allowing the fact of their unity in Christ to settle the issue in their hearts. Let Christ be and let his peace be the umpire in your heart to settle the kinds of differences that we may have in the church. And again, as I said before, it's not easy to do, but it's important that we do that. Let me keep moving on. And on top of this, we need to be grateful to God for this is his gracious, and we need to be grateful for all the graciousness and the gifts that he's lavished upon us, including his peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then following that, Paul says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing hymns, psalms, spiritual songs in, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And again, it was touched on this this morning. One of the reasons that Paul uh, wrote this letter was that the church in Colossae was being infiltrated by false teaching false prophets and their false teaching and of course that's nothing new because the same kinds of things are happening in churches all over the world today so again how do we combat this how do we combat this this false teaching how do we refute false teaching today the most effective way to do that is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and I'd encourage you to take those times make those times because the times will not fall into your lap where you'll have a bit of spare time and say oh yeah I can pick up my Bible and read it you've got to be disciplined to make that time happen where you do allow the Holy Spirit to fill your minds with the word of God the word of Christ take time out to be with him how does this work well let me give a little illustration I'm sure most of you've probably heard this illustration before but you've heard the story of the bank teller for example who was trained to spot the counterfeit notes that, for, that were from time to time brought, over the, brought into the bank. Bank tellers needed to be able to pick these counterfeits. Have you heard that story? So what happens was that this particular bank teller, or the bank teller of these banks, 
um, to, uh, uh, to, be able to, count, to, to be able to spot the counterfeits, well, they just, they just loaded a whole lot of counterfeit notes onto him and said, right, you've got to study all those counterfeits and then you'll know what the counterfeits look like. Is that how the story goes? No, it's not, is it? No, he wasn't trained to look at all of the counterfeit notes. He was trained to look in detail at the true authentic bank notes. That's what he was trained to do. And as he took detailed note and studied this, the, the, these, these, the, the true notes, um, he became an expert in knowing what the, what the counterfeit notes were like. You see, because as he studied the true notes, he filled his mind, he filled his brain with those images of the true notes and he allowed those images to dwell in his mind, in his brain, then he could successfully pick, or she could pick, the false ones. Do you get that? And it's in the same kind of thing that, that, that Paul's saying here for the believers. It's the same for us as believers in Christ. We need to study, we need to meditate, we need to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you and I can spot the false teaching and refute it and not be deceived by it. Do you understand that? You get in that picture? Yeah, that's good. Then clothed with that kind of spirit of Christian compassion, kindness, humility and gentleness and patience, we're called to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And in practice, really, what this means is to instruct each other, to be able to counsel each other without being arrogant, without being tactless. And uh, hence, verse 12, again, is talking about the kind of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience that we need to exercise as we share with each other, as we teach each other, as we testify to each other, and perhaps as we need to correct each other. And so when the words of Christ fill you, fill the believer's nature, I believe that you'll want to also sing with gratitude in your hearts to God. And finally, I want to be able, just, just quickly on verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, that's a powerful word, and I don't know how we can do that without crying out to God and saying, Lord, just help me to do this. Help me to be like Jesus. Whatever you do, you're getting this? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So just as I close, I want to put some questions to you. Probably some good things to ponder about this verse. As we go about our daily lives, here's some helpful tips for you. Ask yourselves, what is the Christ-like thing that I should do in here? So when you come into these situations, you're surrounded by these circumstances, ask these questions. What is the Christ-like thing to do? How do I respond? How do I react? Do you remember the little armbands you used to get called, what would Jesus do? Well, it's that kind of thing. It's, what is the Christ-like thing to do here? Here's another one. Can I do this without compromising my Christian witness? Can I do this thing without compromising my Christian witness? Another question. Can I do this or say that in the name of the Lord Jesus, knowing that his reputation is at stake in my life and conduct as a child? Let me read that again. As a child of God. Can I do this? Can I say this? In the name of the Lord Jesus, knowing that his reputation is at stake in my life and conduct as a child. 
quite simply I heard this long long time ago someone said to me said to a whole audience there are in fact five gospels do you get that there are five gospels Matthew Mark Luke John and your life and he went on to say most people will read the fifth gospel first before they look at the other four if they know you they'll look at the fifth gospel which is your life before they perhaps even get any motivation to read the other four I think it's a good thing to think about the last thing can I thank God the Father through Jesus that he has provided this opportunity for doing or saying this so I think they're good measuring sticks that we can use as we go about our daily as our daily lives and I just want to finish by saying when we honestly authentically face questions like these it'll not only draw us closer to Christ but it'll also draw us closer to one another as a church because that's what Christ wants to do that's his will to draw you deeply intimately into his presence into his love into all of his fullness and then by doing that I believe the natural outflow of that will be you'll be drawn close to one another as Christians we all will let me just pray Father thank you for your word a lot to take in Lord I know it's been a pretty heavy passage and we just pray that you'll help us to be able to go from here and and still have your spirit speaking to us and for us to meditate on these truths that you've been speaking to us about tonight so we thank you for your word and we just thank you for your patience with us and your love and your goodness and your grace to us thank you lord we just commit ourselves again to you now for the rest of this evening and lord into the new week we pray you'll help us to put these into practices uh, in, in, in practice in our daily lives and we look to you for that in jesus name amen